0: Jeremiah 17, a passage that if you've you've been in any of my classes, you've probably heard me teach this, but it's always a little different because this is a a model for change that's my aim in it, my hope is that as I go through this, you're listening with the the, uh, purpose of locating yourself in it. This is a, a structure we, we find ourselves in, uh, in this process of uh, sanctification, of growth, of change, or not growing and not changing. And so, as I go through this, my desire is to be very bottom shelf, everyday examples, and um, we'll just see what God reveals. <clears throat> and if anybody would like to clear my throat for me, uh, you're welcome. Okay, so let me start by just reading Jeremiah 17. It's gonna be on your notes on the screen as well. Jeremiah 17, quick, quick context. This is very um, uh, brief, but in Jeremiah's day, the people of Judah were um, just permeated with idolatry. And basically, God is warning his people through the prophet Jeremiah. uh, He's saying to live for anything other than Me it's going to lead to judgment, essentially to exile. All right, very simple. So as he's making that warning, as he's stating that, he then gives us a picture, a a, a way to look at this, living for him or living for something else. And that's where Jeremiah 17, verse 5, that's where we pick up. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Okay, I'm not going to do justice to this. There's a lot of material in this. But let me just start by introducing our main characters here. We're introduced to a shrub and a tree. The shrub is a desert bush. It's unfruitful. It's just like the barren lands that it's in, which is essentially, I think, is probably the land describing the land around the Dead Sea. It's barren. It's not really able to sustain life. So this, this desert bush is just hanging on for dear life, Okay, And then there's another character, the tree, and it's thriving despite its environment. In fact, it's, I think it's in the same environment. It says in, in verse um, 8, it's not anxious in the, in the year of drought. A whole year without rain, I mean, that's, some, that's a pretty m- miserable situation to be in. And it, it's not even anxious in that. So there's this tree that is thriving despite its environment, and there's a bush that's just hanging on in its environment. And what we learn here is the shrub is trusting in man and makes flesh his strength, his heart turns away from the Lord, while the tree trusts in the Lord, and he says it again, whose trust is the Lord. <clears throat> now, one observation here, there, there, you notice there's no third alternative, right? It, it, this reminds me of Romans 6. You're either a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin, Correct? There's no... um, Yeah, so your trust, whatever you're trusting in is what you're enslaved to, and it's your master. Everybody, just to put it another way, everybody lives for something. It's your main way of finding significance or security or meaning, your main way of facing the difficulties of life and the dangers of life. This could be your career. It could be your family. It could be achievement. Hopefully, it's your God, but we often find ourselves looking a lot like this shrub in the desert because we're functionally trusting in something else. And, you know, I'm not going to take time to go through this right now, but on the very back, you just flip it over, I have some common treasures of the heart, common idols. Um, And as you look over this, uh, immediately when we're finished and you, you spend time studying immediately when I'm done, just kidding. But at some point, you, you spend time looking through this, you're going to find certain things jumping off the page. That describes what I'm prone to. I'm prone, uh, as, you, as you're going to hear illustrations from my own life, I'm prone to living for approval. And often it's what motivates my preparation, unfortunately. I'm prone toward comfort. There's a lot of things that I find myself... Uh, I, I, I'm not a big power junkie. Um, so as I look through this... I'm likely to be like the shrub because I'm, I'm trusting in other things other than the Lord. And I would say to the extent that the Lord isn't getting you out of bed, to the extent that he's not motivating you that you're living for him, you are the shrub in, in the desert. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. The shrub can, and, and this, in this illustration, the, the shrub can be a, a believer who trusts in Christ for salvation, but we, be, we become forgetful. And I think, again, like Romans 8, 6, the the mind set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. There's just a way of living that leads to just this fruitlessness. And the way it's described here in in Jeremiah 17, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord, turning to something else. And um, yeah, this is just setting a, a, a... Context as, as we build this model, that I don't want you to think that as, as you're walking around, uh, it's interesting, you can see everything above the surface of the ground. So if you were, if you were to walk up to this, you would see someone, a, a shrub that's just you know, barely hanging on, and a tree that's fruitful. But I, I don't want to make it sound like in, in daily life you could walk around and say, Oh, you're a shrub, oh, you're a tree you're a shrub. We don't look around and see people looking like shrubs. You can look like you're doing just fine and you're trusting in man. When might be a time that you might look fruitful yet you're trusting in man? Maybe when, right after you got a promotion when life is going well, when things are going your way, you can be trusting in things other than the Lord. And on the surface, you look like you're doing just fine. So I don't want to give you the the idea that this is something that we can visibly just see. But the reality is, he says, uh, Jeremiah says, um, this person will not see any good come. The shrub will not see any good come. Good things come to the shrub, but it's, it, just, it, bounce off, it bounces off an ungrateful heart. It's forgotten. It doesn't satisfy. God didn't uh, designed us that this stuff was not supposed to satisfy. And actually, I'm not meaning to bring Romans up so much, but Romans um, 1, God's judgment is to give people what they want apart from him and let it satisfy them. You know, let, hey, it's like I heard, I, maybe it was C.S. Lewis who said this, Um, God will say to you either my will be done or he'll say your will be done. And if he allows you to say your will be done, he will allow you to find satisfaction apart from him. Here the shrub is unable to, there's no good, nothing good is coming to them. So what I really want to explore here though, how do you go from being this shrub on the right to to the fruitful tree on the left? Well, in order to to get there, let's see the rest of the characters. This should be a blank on your notes. We get introduced to the heat. You have to understand the heat. That's your situation. I don't know if the blank is heat or situation. I didn't do my homework. Situation. Situation. Okay. But we call it the heat. So your heat is the situation. And basically, it's everything that comes at us in a fallen world. I'm including, we call over at Soul Care, we just often refer to very uh, everyday language, yeah, he's got a lot of heat right now. A lot is coming at him in, in, in a fallen world. And now this could include good things as well, you know, bad things is often what we have in mind, but it can include good things as well. So here are the things that are included when I talk about your heat or your situation. Could be marital tension. It could be back pain. Could be your son's strong will. Your roommate eats your ice cream, you got financial problems, someone lies about you, your favorite sweater gets snagged, right? Even winning the lottery, that one would be included as heat as, heat as well, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it seems like a good thing, but it's interesting. Is winning the lottery a good thing? It depends. Are you trusting in money? If you're trusting in money, and if you won the lottery, you probably are trusting in a quick buck, right? You don't just buy one ticket and win the lottery usually. And so if you win the lottery, there was probably a pattern of trusting in in, quick money. And what often happens to people when they win the lottery? It ruins their life. If a godly person who's trusting the Lord wins the lottery, I would probably, I would bet that they would probably handle it well, honoring the Lord with what God gave them. But the thing is, no good can come if you're not trusting in the Lord, ultimately. So this can, when I said it can include good or bad things, I I wrote down uh, Proverbs 27, 21. Praise tests the heart of man. Praise is a good thing, but you know what's happened to me sometimes? When I've gotten a lot of praise, I start to believe it, you know, and then I, and I walk away and then I become self-sufficient and pretty soon I fall on my face because God lovingly humbles me. At this rate, we'll get done tomorrow. Everyone faces heat, though, and depending on where your heart is, you're gonna view your heat very differently. If you're going through, say, back pain, for example, you might view that heat as just random, this stinks. Uh, maybe you view it as God is punishing you or if you're trusting in the Lord, you might have a James 1, 2, and 3 mindset. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith develops produces steadfastness. So you have this understanding, God, you're doing something in this. But everybody has the heat, and we view it very differently. I came across this, uh, Job 36, 15. God delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. When you're trusting in the Lord and you come across a test or affliction, you actually see God is doing something to, to deliver me by this affliction. So heat is a major player for all of us, and we all go through it all the time. But the way we usually respond to heat is with thorns. Thorns, bad fruits, you could say it either way. It's not explicitly mentioned in Jeremiah 17, but when I think of a bush in the desert, I think of a cactus. I mean, I think of something that's probably going to be thorny. I, I'm not overly committed to these ideas of thorns or bad fruit, but here's the thing I like about thorns. Uh, if thorns are the sinful ways we respond to heat, what I like about thorns is just if you think about what they do, a thorn protects the bush, right? Right? The thorn is there for protection. At what cost? The cost of hurting others. And that's often how we are in our sinfulness. We're protecting ourselves and we're hurting others in the process. So, deeds of the flesh, bad fruit. There's something, uh, there's a theme in this, in Jeremiah 17, that I, it makes me think of uh, Luke 6. Actually, um, yeah, it's on the bottom Luke 6 43 through 45 as well as Matthew 7 where Jesus commonly talks about the, the root-fruit connection, that no good tree can bear bad fruit. And in Matthew 7, he's talking about you, you, false prophets, you know, that they're going to... You, you can recognize a tree by its fruit. If thorns are coming out of you, it's not because of the heat. It's because of what you're trusting in. That's always true. You, you know... It stinks that my wife and I both know this because if we're in an argument and I say, well, you know, you made me angry. She's like, no, I didn't make you angry. That was in you. She, she's, you know, we're quick to call each other out on that. This is something that if you've ever heard Greg Cook teach, uh, he makes this point. He says, why, why did water just come out of this? If you've been in Greg's class, because there's water in it. And most people would say, because I hit it. That's why water came out. But why didn't milk come out of this cup? Because there wasn't milk in there to begin with. And why did sin come out of me in response to this heat? Is it because of the heat? No, it's because of my way of thinking that I have the right, if I curse because you cut me off, well, this is my world, and if you cut me off, I have the right to talk however I want. That mindset is in me. Why didn't love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, why didn't that come out of me? It wasn't in me. Don't agree with me too quickly, Danny. Yeah, exactly. Um, So thorns come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, we all sin differently. I I, this isn't a technical term, but I I call it. We all have different sin temperaments. Like we, we, I, I'm prone um, to to escapism when 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 the stress. When I get stressed. My wife is more prone to, to control. Chances are you married someone who deals with stress differently than you, right? Some people will kind of just go passive, and other people will uh, become like a downed power line and shock everything in their, in their, in their vicinity. Um, that's, we're just, we're just different. So I listed a bunch of different types of thorns. Thorns include all different types of unrighteous forms of anger, Anywhere from irritability to rage to bitterness, unforgiveness. And you know, just because you're not a temper person doesn't mean you're not, you don't deal with anger because it often turns into resentment. Even malice, just not rooting for someone else's good. There's discontentment, all forms of discontentment, whether it's envy, lust, self-pity, which actually is a form of pride self-reliance, self, self-righteousness, selfishness in general, fear. There's anxiety, which I don't necessarily, anxiety in and of itself isn't a sin, but often in our anxiety, we, we become overly controlling and trusting in ourselves. There's defensiveness, obsessive thinking, escapism, addictions, overspending, grumbling, sins of the tongue. I mean, the list goes on and on. And these thorns the ways we respond always this arrow pointing back up I, that's in your notes right that 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 arrow pointing back up represents the consequences and the the fact is we our thorniness is somebody else's heat you know if 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 you're irritable then that's your that's your thorniness right but your spouse now has the heat of living with an irritable spouse and so there's a dynamic, you know, relationship. And so uh, when when God says, um, verse 8, let's see, no, verse 7, in, in an uninhabited, blessed is the, I'm lost, he is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Um, basically, Oh, I the verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So God, he knows our hearts, but he also, he is rewarding us according to the fruit of our deeds. That is both a picture of judgment, but also just there's consequences to the ways we're living. And if we're in our thorniness in responding uh, with a, uh, Maybe just judgmentalism. If we never repent of that, that is going to lead to death eventually. If we never repent of our sin, it's a picture of where we are headed in that. Now, um, yeah, again, Romans 8:6, to set the mind on the flesh is death. And have anybody here read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? if you haven't it's really interesting it's a, it's a fiction but what he does is he takes different characters who are in hell and what you see is what they looked like in hell as they never repented from certain sins so a self-righteous man who says just give me what i deserve i'm a good man i don't need grace well, what does that look like is he never repents and he dies and he keeps on going that direction in hell. And gradually, when you build your life off of um, success or lust or whatever it might be, and you just see these very scary pictures of what it looks like when God says, okay, your will be done. And you see yourself in it in, in, in ways because we all, we all have this, this thorniness and it's scary because it is unrepented of, it leads to death. Now, God obviously has a plan for us to move forward because this is just laying out the context when we're on our own, nothing's changing. And God wants us to basically, the heat comes into our life and it reveals thorniness, thorniness in us. And God wants us to move forward and, and ask ourselves, why am I responding this way? Why am I so irritable? Why am I procrastinating? Now, should I just say shame on you, Ryan, for procrastinating? and Get to it. No, I need to ask myself what it, what am I trusting in? That procrastination is a fruit of a root trust. If someone, if if you're struggling with uh, pornography, is it just about pornography? It's a symptom of a root trust. I actually. It, the article is kind of long. I was thinking about printing it off, but it's just like five or six pages. There, I have an article called 19 Triggers, uh, tr- uh, 19 different reasons people turn to pornography or 19 possible motives. It's by Brad Hambrick. He's a biblical counselor. And what he, he does in that is he looks at the sin of you know, just looking at pornography and then has 19 different motivations of what it is that you're looking for. I, I you know, I... I I'm looking to sin as my friend because I feel lonely. And so, I oh, I feel like I have a friend in this. Or I feel uh, it could be for revenge or for comfort. And as he goes through these different motives, you realize that the expression on the surface is very similar, but the heart underneath is very different. And we can't assume that if you're struggling with this particular sin, it's for this particular reason. We, nobody can really know our heart except the Lord. And we really can't even know our own heart. But he wants to invite us into that search. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You can't, right? I can't. If you're married, your spouse probably thinks they can, but they can't. No, the answer to that is I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. God alone knows, but he's inviting us in to explore what's going on in our heart. He's not saying that I'm not going to show you anything about your heart. So when I see thorniness, here's where I miss Sanctification. And this is what I most naturally tend to do is instead of focusing on my heart, I focus on the heat. If, if I'm struggling with irritability, I'm gonna blame my wife and kids. Because I'm coming home, I want some peace. Oh, but they're not, it's instead I'm getting criticized, I'm getting nagged, I'm getting, you know, you're not listening. And it's all it's all the problems out there. It's not my, it's not my attitude. It's it's that they're the problem. That's that's missing it that's foolishness god doesn't want me to focus on the heat i consider it a tragedy if someone comes in for counseling i consider it a tragedy if the heat goes away before their heart changes so the, god's goal is first to focus on our heart but here's another tragedy is when instead of focusing on your heart you just engage in fruit stapling which is i'm supposed to be patient i'm supposed to be peaceful Supposed to be loving, and you just find ways of jury rigging your life so that you can be more well behaved, but your heart hasn't changed. So these are all ways of fixing ourselves above the surface. It doesn't work. This is uh, the fruit stapling language is straight from uh, uh, ripping off Paul Tripp and Instruments of the Redeemer's Hand. It's chapter four, and he talks about if you take a, a, a bad tree and in a you know bunch of good apples and a staple gun and start stapling the apples to that tree. People who drive by might say, that's a great apple tree, right? But if they walk up to it, they're going to notice, well, those those apples are going rotten. And look, I see a staple up there. (laughs) People at church and the people in our lives can be fooled, right? When we're faking it. People really close to us aren't as easily fooled. We might be able to successfully fool them, but when it's when there's genuine change going on underneath the surface at a heart level, this is freedom. It's the, it's the kind of stuff Cody's been talking about. What I, I knew if, if I know Bill, it's going to be what he's been talking about in Romans 5, 6, and 7, and 8. So w- ways to miss the heart change that God is, you know, is uh, wanting to bring in our lives is by focusing on the heat or focusing on just simply changing our behavior. So I love this prayer Psalm 139, last two verses. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. David invites God's gaze. Say, search me, God. Know my heart. God knows my heart, but to to ask him, what's going on at a heart level? What are my deepest desires? That's how you move forward. And so the second page here, x-ray questions. This is a an abridged version of a David Pallison article called The X-Ray Questions. And I just selected some of the, a sampling of the questions that if you take some, some time in your journaling and your quiet time and ask yourself these questions, you're gonna get to know your heart more and more if you answer them honestly. And then if you ask someone you love, who you trust, hey, what do you think you see about me in these things? You're getting to know your heart, but as you do, it's all in the backdrop of knowing that God sees our hearts with crystal clarity. And that can be scary. When you know the, the character of the God who knows us, it's actually comforting. Proverbs fifteen eleven. Sheol and Abaddon uh, lie open before the Lord, how much more the hearts of the children of men. God sees our hearts perfectly clearly. And so... Um, ways to move forward is, is investigating your heart. And if you want a, a copy of that article uh, from, uh, from the 19 Possible Motives, the reason I brought that up, it's a 19 Possible Motives about porn. That applies to any sin. You can substitute the sin of looking at pornography and say, why do I play games on my phone? Why do I get so, why do I turn to Whatever. You substitute something, you're going to see 19 different possibilities. about Those answers are going to resonate in your heart for whatever you struggle with. Sweet. Thank you. Perfect. Um, yeah, thank you, Lori. So what's going to happen, though, is if you truly see your heart, if you start to investigate, it's like peeling an onion. It might make you cry. If I ask myself, and I've done this before. I'm working on a sermon. Uh, Bill, I'd love to say, has this ever happened to you? But I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm working on a sermon, and I find myself procrastinating. Last time that happened, I'm procrastinating, and I'm getting annoyed with myself because instead of uh, being a good steward with my time, I'm procrastinating. I can say, "Stop it, Ryan! Get to work." But when I ask myself, "Why am I procrastinating?" Last time I asked, and I was also was accompanied with anxiety. I was anxious about what I was working on. You can probably imagine why I was, I was anxious and procrastinating. Because I was making it about me. I was using this sermon prep time as, to, as an opportunity to write something great and be loved. Because I struggle with approval. So instead of making this about God's glory, I've made it about my glory. What am I trusting in? I'm entrusting in applause, the approval of man. And that is uglier than the sin of procrastination, is it not? Taking an opportunity to glorify God and saying, actually, I want to be glorified. So it's, it gets uglier when you look to the, at the heart of what's going on at a heart level. And, um, and when you find that, you could wrestle with trying to explain it away. But the truth is, the only way, the only way forward is down in a sense, that when you look, you kind of discover, I'm, I'm worse than I think. But at the same time, I'm more loved than I can imagine. Because when you look at your heart, you, 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 you are, we're called to confess and repent of it. I have a hard time confessing in the middle of an argument with someone I love. Because if I confess, you know what confession means? It literally means to say the same thing. It means to step into the shoes of the offended and agree with their perspective. It's to admit your guilt. And so if you're in an argument with another person, to confess is to kind of get in their shoes and basically lay down your your case and just be guilty. And you're dealing with another sinner. It's, it's really, you don't know, you, you can't know how they're going to respond to that level of vulnerability. When it's God, I mean, he's always right. He sees us in a way that nobody else sees us. And when we start to see our own hearts, the only way forward is to say, I'm going to step into your shoes, God, and see my sin from your perspective and take ownership of it. And when you do that, you start to realize it's a really miserable thing. This is repentance and so to confess is to agree with God and own it, but to repent is to let go of it. It's to let go of trash so God can give you treasure. That's what repentance is. This Preparing this message for my glory isn't leading to joy. It can't pay off. Even if I got all the applause in the world, I would not see any good come from it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't scratch the itch in my heart because I wasn't trusting in the Lord. I could either succeed or fail, but either way I fail. So I, I confess God. And I'm, this is what happened last time. God, I'm using this sermon time for my glory, not for yours. Will you forgive me? And now, if I was dealing with another sinner, that'd be a terrifying thing to confess, but I'm dealing with a God who already, t- he's helping me see forgiven sin. I mean, what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If, it, I love how Broad, I mean, unconditional. The promises: if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and in case we forgot anything, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to name all the sins that you committed. He, he clears you. He is lavish, almost foolishly lavish. I'm not going to say he's foolish in it, but it's like recklessly lavish is a better word, in in His forgiveness. So I get to confess my sin, no matter how ugly, how toxic, whatever to a God who is lavish with his forgiveness, and that's why, I, I, I honestly believe this, it is impossible to truly see your heart apart from the cross. I don't think I could ever really own up to the sin that is there to be discovered in my heart if I didn't have the assurance it is already forgiven. I think it would be too traumatic to take a look. Now, that might sound kind of weird, especially if you haven't been walking with Christ for a long time. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I had some pretty clear sins I needed to repent of, and then I thought I'd be good. But what happened is, the longer I was, I've been walking with God, the more sin I'm discovering. It's almost like the light of His holiness is shining on me and revealing more and more sin, Right? And so what, what uh, allows me to confess and repent is discovering with every step of the way that God's grace is bigger. And you've, you may or may not have heard this, but I think this is a good illustration of what sanctification uh, looks like, is early on, you, you, know, you hear that, oh, you're a sinner, God's holy, good news, Jesus Christ died for your sins, you trust in him, and you're, you're his son, you're his child, and, and you're, you're, you're justified, you're forgiven. And the hope is as you walk through time, you're gonna become more holy. But you read the word, you, you come across verses like Matthew 5, where he says, if you know, you heard, heard it said, do not murder, oh, I'm good. But if anybody's angry with his brother without cause, he's guilty of judgment or you know, in danger of the fire of hell, don't lust or don't, don't commit adultery, I'm good. Oh, but if you look at a woman lustfully, you know, you've committed adultery in your heart. No, I'm not good god's holiness you find that he says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and you see how perfect he is even the holy angels are covering their eyes in his presence that shines a light on us and nobody looks good in a spotlight right but with every stage as you find yourself becoming you're not becoming more sinful you're growing in awareness of your sinfulness And God's not becoming more holy. You're growing in your awareness of of his holiness. If that were the end of the story, that would be just, that would lead to despair. I'm hopeless. But you discover that at every stage, his grace, his... God didn't forgive this guy. He forgave that guy, right? And that's why tears come to my eyes when I'm singing about God's grace his grace is more real to me than even when I was saved. That's what Christian growth looks like, and it allows for a deeper searching of your heart, ex- exposure of your heart, and you can get to a place where the people you love in your life can criticize you and you're ready to hear it because discovering more sin is more to re- you know opportunity to repent and, and move forward. I'm not there yet, but um, Romans 8.1, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can take a person who's simultaneously, Romans 7, sinful, and then be simultaneously uh, loved and, and there's no condemnation. Okay. So, as we move forward in this picture, God meets us with his transforming grace. And then, out of that, we move forward by realizing that I have a new heart. And a lot of it is sometimes just simply claiming what is already mine. I think that's, as a Christian, that's always what it is. I'm rich, but I'm living like I'm poor. Uh, a lot of what Cody talked about, uh, I forget, and I just start to, I start to form my identity based on other, what other people think. When I've got the king of the universe saying I'm his child, what were the other ones? I, I was so touched by the message, but all the things he listed, it's almost like just forgetfulness. And then moving in, back into, I have everything in Christ Jesus. And so I'm given this new heart. The first time this happens, when you've you know, trusted in Christ, you, you have a new heart effectively. But um, it's, I'm constantly laying claim to the things that I have in Christ. So um, if we're trusting in him, I, I, I love this that um, the language in Jeremiah 17:8 says, "Blessed is the man who trusts in man. Who's, or, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord." He's like a tree that sends its roots out by the stream." The language of that, to me, sounds intentional. Like there's, there's a deliberate choice on the part of the tree to send its roots out by the stream. So if there's one thing I could change about this illustration is that looks like a river going to the, I think the river would be here, and he's sending its roots out here. And I suspect, I mean, I'm, I'm stretching here, but maybe this bush ha, is able to send its roots out by the stream as well. It's just chosen not to. It's chosen to trust in the weather, choosing to trust in rain in the desert. But this tree is sending its roots out by the stream, has a constant source of nourishment, and as a result is able to live out of faith and trust. Faith in the justifying work of, of God. He's, um, again, I just looked over Romans 6 through 8 again. He, we're united to Christ. There's no condemnation for us. We have the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. You can just go on and on and on. And so when you are, you know, receiving that forgiveness and finding a fresh joy, it's almost like I get to learn all over again all the wonderful things I have in Christ. And I'll say this, some of my sweetest times with Christ are right after repenting. I feel like I, you know, on, on this side of repenting where I'm, I'm stuck in my sin and I need to repent, I feel like I'm going to have to crawl my way back to God. And then I confess and I'm quickly met by his grace and it's all mine again. And it's almost like there was logs in the fire and then God just put the match back and then the whole thing just, you know, bursts and, I, and I'm excited again. And when that is happening in my heart, I don't have to try to be good. love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, just, they spring naturally when I'm finding joy in my walk with God. And what I love about this is the same situation might be happening. So good fruit occurs when responding in the same ways to old situations. If if it's it's marital tension, instead of coming home and, and arguing back, you come home and you're peaceful and trusting and... Gentle and humble and able to listen and be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. And what is amazing about that is that response turns around and has a consequence of its own, that leads to salvation, that leads to peace in the house. You affect others. And your godly responses to old situations actually has, becomes the heat in the people and the lives of the people around you. And so, going through this, I'm hoping that you're locating yourself in some of these things. Uh, let me give you um, just a brief example of how this might look in my life, how it has looked in my life. I, I, I will say this: you can go through this process in in years. You could also go through it in seconds. I'm, the example I'm going to give is going to be seconds. I came home for date night, had a kind of stressful day at work. I think I came home, I said I'd be home by 5.15, and I think I got home about 5.22. I'm just making this up. But I came home a little late. Brandy thought it was 30 minutes late. I don't know, seven minutes late, 30 minutes late, you know, whatever. We're arguing about petty things. But we're going back and forth, and there's just this tension as we're waiting for the babysitter to show up. And we have, you know, when you have three young kids, date nights are precious, all right, and, and they're rare. So there was a tension in the room, and I just came home, and, and I felt like I was just getting un, unfairly attacked because, I mean, I was just a little late. And, and you say this long, and I say that long, and we're going back and forth. I, I'm essentially, I'm being a childish man and defending myself and getting irritated, the why aren't you happy kind of thing, all right? And as we're going back and forth, I quickly thought, how am I responding to the heat? And I, because I teach this a lot, I was able to think, well, I'm clearly being childish and defensive. I'm being thorny. I'm not being godly. And I thought to myself, Lord, I'm trusting in my wife. Uh, I'm trusting in her. I'm needing respect from her. I need her respect in order to be kind. I'm trusting in her. Would you forgive me for that? Instead of saying, Lord, I trust in you. Help me to love my wife, who's obviously stressed. I'm, I'm, so I just, in my head, thought to myself, Lord, would you forgive me for trusting in my wife's treatment of me? And I felt his forgiveness. So help me to trust in you, Lord, as we're still in the middle of the argument. And I remember... He just met me right there. Like, I love you, Ryan. Love her. And I stopped and I shut my mouth and I listened to her. I apologized for being late. So I asked for her forgiveness. We went and had a great date that night. At that date, later on, we were sitting there. We went to Lily's, got their little donuts there. They're good. And as we're eating these donuts, she said, I saw the moment you changed literally God like a switch because I just internally having like being reminded of his kindness that is is mine in Christ was able to in the middle of an argument confess and repent and trust in him and be fruitful because God's not stingy with his blessings he wants us to trust in him I could not on my best day change my behavior like that I know me too well Let me give you a hypothetical example. And by the way, the way to locate yourself in this, if you are struggling with suffering or sin, you can start this process. Suffering, the heat, or sin, the thorns in your life. If you recognize suffering or sin in your life, you've, you, you can start this process. If you recognize thorns in your life, well, you might wanna ask, what am I suffering You know, where am I suffering? But you want to, why am I being thorny? And you start that process. So the questions on the back of your notes, on the back of the first page, those questions are meant to just kind of walk you through this process. What what does this look like? How do you go? I think the hardest step might be to go from the thorniness to the heart. That's where some prayerful, thoughtful, honest questions and just time of listening to God, Uh, the common treasures of the heart on the very back, um, are meant to help kind of help your thinking along. But how can you walk through this? It starts with sin and suffering usually. It's possible to have a godly response first time. It's rare. And God wants to meet us if we're suffering and we have a godly response. He wants to meet us there as well. But I'm assuming if you're like me, I need you need help like I do. So I just I'm gonna think of, of an example here. Let's say you have two guys and I have... Do I have 11 minutes left? All right. Let's say you have two guys. For the case of the illustration, identical situation, they both have or had a good job that they enjoyed, but both of them got unjustly fired. Just you know, thrown under the bus un- under the bus by their boss. Let's say Bob the first guy is bitter cannot forgive his boss. He cannot really pick himself back up to go do job interviews and, and get back in the game. He's just eaten up over the way he was unfairly treated. But Skip, whose name's Skip? I hope there's no Skip or Bob's in here. But Skip, managed, he, he struggles. This is a blow to him as well, but he manages to forgive his boss and, and, and move forward. What's the essential difference between Bob and Skip here? Let I mean, all of the things being equal. Pride, okay. And that, that, I would say that's probably correct. But what are some other possible things according to this model? His response is different. He's trusting, trusting in likely his job. That job gave me meaning. That job gave me everything I needed to be the man I was supposed to be and my boss came and took that away from me. And if that's my life, if that's my functional trust, then I will not be able to forgive because it took it away from me. I mean, you you see this happen all the time. Two people get dumped, one person is really sad and the other person is suicidal. Why? Because this guy, a relationship is gonna define him. Everything that he needs is going to be found in that relationship, and when it's gone, he's done. If we're trusting in something other than the Lord, we cannot recover from those blows that life gives us. So, how can Bob, who is devastated because he was fired, how can he move forward? Okay, he might have to look at his heart. Why am I? Be, why am I so angry? Why am I depressed? Why am I? And as he looks, he sees I'm trusting. I was trusting in that job and I can't forgive because the thing that was most important to me was taken away. There's something to confess. The thing that was most important to me was taken away. Why wasn't that the Lord? If, if the Lord is the one who's most important to you he, can't get, he cannot be taken away. You have a stream and you will not fear a year of drought. You will not fear the scariest situations because you have what you need. So if, if you're devastated if you're filled with outrage, if there's really toxic emotions coming out of you, it's a good sign that you're not drawing water from the stream, that you're trusting in something else. So to, to, to investigate and to confess, and hopefully Bob knows that that confession, he, he is forgiven. If he's in Christ, he's forgiven whether he confesses or not. But if he wants to move forward and actually experiencing intimacy with God and freedom, the confession and repentance is the way forward. I think this might be a, a good stopping place just to invite any questions or comments. Well, okay, I have, I have one question for you. Let's say... Um, Let's take the, it's just an accessible illustration. But let's say there's a nagging spouse, okay? I've said this a lot. By the way, I don't, I'm not drawing from personal experience, my wife is awesome. Um, But let's say there's a nagging spouse, and we're supposed to, uh, the, the, the nagging spouse is the heat, right? And then your response, maybe you withdraw. You know, you avoid, okay? Well, that's, that's a sinful response. You're supposed to love. You're not supposed to avoid. You're supposed to love. Well, you, you, you go and you go, why am I avoiding, you know, the, the, the challenge of, of, of um, stepping into these challenging situations? And you learn, well, I just, I trust in peace. I, I'm, I need peace in order to feel okay. Well, so you, you, you confess that, you move forward, and you, you have this new heart where, hey, I can, I can handle I can handle, I can be patient even when maybe my spouse isn't being patient. Is there a time where you address the nagging spouse? Where you point out, hey, why why are you nagging? Do you turn around and address it? I tell you when you don't address it. You don't address it before you go through this. Whoops. Or before you hit all your PowerPoint buttons. you, you don't address it before you do this work. I, I think in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, why do you focus on the speck that's in your neighbor's eye when you've got a log in your own? This Your sin should look like a log. You should be so concerned about your tendency to withdraw, which is no lesser of a sin than someone else's tendency to attack. Address your sin. If you try to address that sin, it, if, if you are a withdrawer and um, you you try to make right somebody else's sin, you're probably gonna be disproportionately vicious because you don't know how to just be gentle. You only know one other move is to withdraw. But if you respond in the flesh, you'll do so in a very poor, sinful fashion and it won't lead to godliness. So Jesus says, first remove the log in your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to address the speck that's in your neighbor's eye. When you are forgiven, and you recognize I'm a sinner just like my spouse, then you can address your spouse in gentleness and patience and humility, knowing that you're no better, with a desire for your spouse to be free from the anxiety or whatever it is that is making them miserable, right? So we do turn around and address the things, uh, but we don't do so before we address our own heart. Last chance for questions, yes. yeah sure yeah good question I'm glad you brought up legalism because I meant to address that I don 't look at my notes very well um, with legalism okay so if you're trying really hard to keep up with everything and trying to to be uh, uh, just to follow the rules and in a sense be good you get tired eventually and, and you sort of give up is that what i'm hearing kind of yes like that. Well, i will i would say that Fruit stapling is, the legal, is what legalism is. If, you're, if your heart's not changed by grace, all you can do is follow the rules, and it, it, it's going to be fruit stapling. That's another way. So it's not, it's not a life or a mind that is set on, on, on the spirit, which is life and peace. It's a mindset on the flesh, following the rules, producing artificial fruit. And it's, the thing about legalism, especially in an interpersonal relationship, legalism smells It's self-righteousness smells. Everybody else smells. It's like bad breath. Everybody else smells it, but you don't, right? People smell legalism and self-righteousness around you, but the person who thinks, they just think they're being good. And um, so legalism and self-righteousness, those is just another form of thorniness. And then you got the people who just check out and don't care. That's a form of thorniness as well. And both of them need to be repented of in the same way. Which yeah, so I, I'm out of time, or I got one minute, Bill. Um, I uh, let me stop there because I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to uh, help us apply this to our hearts, and um, then dismiss you. Father, thank you so much for giving us so many different pictures and images and uh, explanations of of our relationship with you. Uh, of of ways that we can grow, ways that we can repent. And I, I pray, Lord, that as, as I went through and looked at these, uh, this, this image from, from Jeremiah 17, I pray that the Spirit has grabbed each one of us and opened our eyes to something that we need to see in our own lives and, and shown us what it looks like to move forward. Lord, I just pray for true heart change in our lives and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.